Oi, oi, Bizzlecast listeners. Welcome to Crossing Streams Podcast, episode four, here with Maddie G. Have a bunch of shows to talk about this week, including a brand new, very hyped show, Legion on FX. We're going to dive into all of this, but first of all, Maddie G, welcome back. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode four, um, which I've now decided to start, uh, aka, giving these su- episodes subtitles based off of long sci-fi or fantasy series so i think i'm calling this one crossing streams in the goblet of fire <laughs> of course aka also being a reference to the jessica jones comics and actually originally man it was the the series was supposed to be called aka jessica jones they smartly called it jessica jones instead but the episodes all begin aka um yep like aka a thousand cuts and so forth um, so I love that. Uh, we are going to dive into Legion. We are going to dive into The Expanse, Episode 3, uh, CW, of course. Um, a few pieces of business and news up front. Um, you can check us out at uh, www.crossingstreamspodcast.com, uh, which is basically just a subsection of the Bizzlecast page, uh, which is bizzlecast.com, uh, facebook.com slash bizzlecast. I'm at the Bizzle. 81. Matty G is at Matt, M-A-T-T-G-O-I-S-M-A-N-C-C-T. That's at Matt Goisman C-C-T on Twitter. Um, so hit us up with your uh, thoughts and ideas and responses and questions and criticism and, and insults. Because Matt, if the, if the internet is good for anything, it's uh, unsolicited insults. Exactly. Often racist ones or homophobic <laughs> ones. Yes. We are both Jewish and we support gay people and all sorts of other minorities. So if you have a problem with that, feel free to hit us up. Right. Um, so really quickly, Matt, uh, you know how much I bitched about last year in movies. And I'm a little bit in the minority. Most people think that the bulk of the Best Picture nominees are pretty good. Uh, right. you know, I didn't love Moonlight. I had no interest in Manchester by the Sea. Uh, really no interest in La La Land. I was thrilled to see that Hidden Figures is still raking in money and mm-hmm. past La La Land domestically, which is so important because La La Land is this fantastical, you know, revisionist American history via musical, whereas Hidden Figures is this unbelievable story about African-American women in the sciences and NASA uh, that is really excellent and is also nominated. Um, but man, I, we're barely into the new year and we have all sorts of fresh ratings on the tomato meter. We've got John Wick 2 and I rented one. I haven't seen it. I'm going to watch it this week and me and my dad, I think, are going to go see it maybe next week. Yep. Um, Lego it's a Bat- fun movie. Yeah, Lego Batman, which each week on Crossing Streams I get more excited about. And dude, uh, we'll maybe wait for the CW, but the little mini crossovers they're doing during the CW shows with the Lego Batman and the voices of the CW cast is really hilarious um, mm-hmm. and brilliant synergy. I love that they're making Batman just be like an idiot. <laughs> ben Affleck can't love that. Um, and just a real quick mention, because this isn't a movie podcast, but I just want to mention a movie with uh, David I. Lowo, um, called A United Kingdom. Uh, Those of you who know me uh, know that I spent a lot of time living and studying in Botswana and South Africa during during and after college. And Botswana is this amazing story of of, of the one African country that didn't get colonized. And there's a lot of reasons for it. But one of them was that they, they converted to Christianity voluntarily very, very early on and became very close with the Church of England and the monarchy. And so the Church of England actually did some good for once and, and kept the colonization out 
president there. Um, and the, uh, the, the first king who later became first de- democratic president of Botswana, Sir Seretsi Kama, fell in love with an English woman and they made it into a movie, which I'm sure is going to be over the top romance. Um, but it's getting very strong reviews so far called A United Kingdom and, and the story of Botswana and how they were able to uh, avoid colonization and then find diamonds and keep it for themselves and enrich their own people. One of the most progressive, uh, you know, countries in Africa uh, and really in the world. Um, so you should check that out if you're interested in, in history and good romances. Also, uh, Roseman Pike is in it, um, who a lot of people like. She's the, the English love interest. So, uh, yeah, man, looking good so far. We'll have to see how, uh, how Logan and so forth gets reviewed, but so far it's looking pretty good. So, um, okay, let's jump into the TV unless you have any, any film or, or miscellaneous entertainment stuff you want to plug. No, I, uh, I think uh, you pretty much got it. Oh, oh, and um, this will be a great, great tie-in to the first show we're going to talk about, which is a movie that neither you or I wanted to see, um, but I just want to give props to James McAvoy for his role in uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Split. Um, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was made with $9 million, which shows you how far M. Night Shyamalan has fallen. But he got McAvoy <laughs> to play, I think, 24 characters in the movie? Some ridiculous number, that's for sure. And uh, it is making a shit ton of money and got pretty good reviews overall. Um, and uh, James McAvoy's portrayal of Professor Xavier and what he does with sort of the torment and borderline insanity of telepathic powers feeds in perfectly to our first show. I don't even know where to start, Matt, so I'm just going to throw it over to you and uh, have, have you introduce the uh, Crossing Streams uh, podcast listeners to our first show this week. All right, so our first show... Uh, which made its series debut this past week uh, is Legion. It is a new show on FX. It is based off of the character Legion from the comics, uh, David Haller, who is a mutant um, who is related to... I'm actually not going to give that away. Well, should we give it away or not? What do you think? Well, he's in some comics, he's Professor X's son. I think we can say that. Yeah, so he's, but his deal is he has schizophrenia and multiple personalities. And his, in the comics, what happens is basically he absorbs the minds of people he connects with. And then if they have mutant powers, he has their mutant powers too. Yep. And he develops more and more of them, but they keep talking to him. So they drive him crazy, which is why he's called Legion. It's a reference to a, a character in the Bible who's possessed by multiple demons that Jesus meets. And Jesus asks his name, and he says, my name is Legion, for we are many, or something like that. Um, Stephen King wrote a, sh- a, a TV novella, called, um, you know, a story for TV called Storm of the Century, where the bad guy's name is Andre Linoge, which is an anagram of Legion. Um, Legion is a, a demon from the New Testament, basically. Um, and actually, if you so, IMDB Legion, you get the shitty uh, demon movie from a few years ago. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, so it stars Dan Stevens as David Haller. Um, and when it leads off, he's in a mental institution getting treatment for schizophrenia because he hears voices and he has nightmares and weird hallucinations. But when he has psychotic breaks, shit around him starts going crazy. Usually he has some kind of telekinetic outburst. He destroys rooms he flips tables he flips people he's 
clearly incredibly powerful and doesn't really understand how to control it or even he's not even totally sure what he can do is real or not. He has trouble. He's kind of dissociated from reality. So he has trouble figuring out if anything going on around him is real or not. Mm -hmm. He sort of lives at multiple stages in his own history. So he has trouble telling past from present and uh, dreams from reality. So he's in this very dissociated state. Um, the show is made by Noah Hawley, who previously uh, did the Fargo shows on FX, which were amazing. There is definitely a little bit of the Coen brothers' weirdness to this. Um, that kind of takes it to a new level, but I definitely feel like there's some tonal similarity. Um, side characters, Rachel Keller, who was on the second season of Fargo, is Sid Barrett, Sidney Barrett. A, a very, very easy reference to Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd, who went crazy, and she's a yeah. girl that David Haller meets in a mental institution. Aubrey Plaza plays Lenny, <laughs> his weird, wonderful, scene-stealing friend. Um, and there's some other people that you meet along the way. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know where to start here. I mean, you and I <laughs> both knew the X-Men connection. Um you know the the series what you know is based on a chris claremont run big surprise <laughs> right i mean pretty much all the good x-men material that they've mined for movies and television has been chris claremont stuff and bill i can't pronounce his last name cn kiewitz um who i guess was maybe the writer or or co-author Senkowitz, yeah. Let's, now, he, let's say it's pronounced, pronounced that way. So they mentioned the word mutant twice, and you mentioned right. to me that it kind of took you out of it, and it didn't yeah. take me out of it because I knew it was coming, but there was nothing until the final 90 seconds that, that indicated this is any kind of comic book, superhero, X-Men, Marvel thing whatsoever. I, I do have right. some theories uh, from the very, very end about how they're reworking some character, tr classic X-Men characters um, mm -hmm. into new names. And, and I think I, I'm actually cool with giving them new names and in playing with their identities and so forth. Um, sort of in the way that Deadpool took a, a couple of, of, you know, X-Men characters that weren't particularly well known, or at least one, um, and did all sorts of stuff with her. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's not really clear yet why they needed an X-Men property to pull off this show. I have so much to say about the show itself. So why don't we just start by, by, you know, trying to come up with some ideas of why they thought they needed. And again, this is based on one episode of the entire series. And, right. and any comments or criticisms I make about this show based on this single episode, not clear to me why they needed uh, the X-Men for this. Because they're not even advertising it that strongly that it's connected. And other than the fact that Brian Singer and Simon Kimberg and Jeff Loeb and so forth are executive producers. And the logo has the X logo where the O in Legion is supposed to be. Right. Um, That's true. So I, I'm with you. I mean, honestly, I really found myself getting lost in the story. But then the second somebody said mutant, it kind of snapped me out of it a little bit. And I, again, like you said, this is one episode. The show could answer the questions that we're asking right now. So these aren't necessarily rhetorical questions. But right now, my biggest question is, why does this have to be an X-Men thing. You could have a show about a person who is crazy, but also telekinetic. And you could even have a show about people with abilities. 
but why it has to without making it X-Men. I, I don't quite yep. understand why it's that yet. Now, what I will say is mm-hmm. mutants have been a stand-in for any number of minorities or oppressed groups sure. over the years. You know, Stan Lee has said a lot of what he based it on was the civil rights movement, that Xavier and Magneto were supposed to be Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, both at more or less at the same time, pushing radically different ideas of what how black people or African-Americans were supposed to act in the world around them. Yep. You know, which which I, really quickly, I'm sorry, really quickly in my uh, semi live blog, I've been. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to push people. Uh, Bizzlecast.wordpress.com. I'll try and make that an easier yep. address at some point. Uh, I'm starting to live blog during some of these shows. Like I'll pause a couple times during commercial breaks and just write some things that I'm thinking about. I mentioned uh, just what Maddie's talking about. Uh, this is very much in the vein of uh you know talking about discrimination and and putting labels on people and and so forth right you know so if that's the direction that this show is going that's an interesting one of now we've seen mutants be stand-ins for so many my honors thesis was about the ways that mutants were maybe a stand-in for jews in america that you had in the 1930s and 40s the simultaneous growth of the american reform movement that believed that acculturation and assimilation and hiding your Jewish identity was the most important thing, and the rise of Zionism that believed a militant separatist Jewish identity was the way to go. You know, I, I think there in more recent years has been uh, the idea that mutants are a stand-in for gay people, and certainly X2, where his parents say, have you tried not being a mutant? That's obviously a coming out scene or a coming out allegory. So if the new one is, okay, mutants are the mentally ill in the way that they're stigmatized, in the way that there's no real way to help them, in the way that they are told to be ashamed of something that's a fundamental part of themselves. Right. Okay. I'm willing to go with that um, if that's the point they're making. But if they just are making a show with a crazy guy who has superpowers – and that's as far as they're willing to take this mutant theme. I don't know why they need it. Um, yep. Okay. So you guys have to just watch the show. Uh, we're not going to go over the plot. The plot really, yeah. there isn't even much plot. It, it's just setting up the, the world um, and the characters and, you know, the sense of dissociation and uh, nausea and uh, confusion and schizophrenia as a watcher. <clears throat> So I'm going to tell you, uh, listeners, and that what I liked about the show, and then we'll go the other way. Mm-hmm. The number one thing I like about the show so far is Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, she's magnetic. She's amazing. And I, I just want to stress that according to the, the official write-up uh, about this on, on the wiki page by the by who you know by the create quotes from the creators, they wrote her character to be a middle-aged man, and then Holly met Plaza and rethought the character. But Plaza insisted that the character's dialogue not be changed, instead choosing to play the character as both male and female, mm-hmm. leading to her, quote, making crass remarks about women and muttering vintage phrases, unquote. Right. Which, it, it just came through without me even knowing that backstory that, you know, she was taking bizarreness to a whole new level. And let me tell you, Aubrey Plaza is a very bizarre person in real life. Uh, well, at least her public persona is. It's possible that she, she's just a regular chick. Uh, but when she did that comedy with, with Anna Kendrick over the summer, which I actually thought was quite funny, the wedding movie, it's like Wedding Crashers Light, 
um uh, her, oh right yeah uh mike and, shot, mike mike getting married or something and uh and right. she, she, you know on the press tour her and anna kedrick were just off their rockers just fucking with everyone just like pulling pranks and practical jokes and like she's definitely a strange cat and if you just have seen parks and rec uh you would know that she's had serious and not serious roles this is perfect i have to say man what they did with her eyes with the craziness yeah. <laughs> she reminded me of helena a little bit with those red eyes um uh, some of the stuff she was doing um i loved her performance but like everyone i'm not sure who's real and she's only credited right. with three of the first eight episodes so I, I don't know you know there's only like two characters that are accredited with all or most of the episodes and it's him and it's um the the, the older woman that we meet at the end gene smart who we'll get back to Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we both loved Ar- Ar- Aubrey uh, Plaza in this role, even For though sure. we have no idea who the fuck she is. Reminds me more of Hel- Helena Bonham Carter than Hel- than Helena. They're both named Helena. That's weird. Um, but uh, you know. For people who don't know, that's uh, she's in like everything um, Tim Burton's ever done. She was uh, the the crazy witch lady in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Anyway, she plays crazy people a lot. She's got that same bug eye thing that she does uh, that that ups it. But yeah, Aubrey Plaza is amazing. Um, in general, I think the cast has been pretty good for the characters w- we've seen. Yeah. You know, Rachel Keller is withdrawn by design, and so the idea that she's not more forthcoming, um, and that she's also clearly militarized, or you know, it, I'm not going to spoil everything that happens in the show, but towards the end, we do start to get hints of the story that is always the story in X-Men, which is that there are mutants and they're being hunted and they're being exterminated and they need to fight back. Um, And so she is aware of all of that. David Haller is not. So she is also sort of got that seen some shit. Don't want to get attached to people attitude to her. Um, All right. So let's save the sort of X-Men side of things and and the final two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. for the wrap-up because i have a theory about well it's not even that revolutionary theory about who sid barrett is her her, her correlation is and the x-men is pretty obvious but um based on the gloves and not being able to touch anyone but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. um but uh, you know I, I i like the color of it it reminds me of breaking bad and that there's lots of of bright colors but it's also through like a filter in a weird way mm-hmm. um so so or so mad men or Mad Men, where it's, it's very got a little vi- bit of that mod art style yeah. to it. It's it, it's vibrant and washed out at the same time. Yeah, and uh, you know, Big Lebowski does. Yeah. It's definitely taking, which is again why I thought it carried some of the Coen Brothers' sense to it, even if they have yes, literally nothing to do with this. Oh yeah, um, yeah. His his but, his jacket in the beginning could easily be like a dude jacket. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, you know, and it's filmed really interestingly now. This is going to be my transition. I'm not going to fully transition because I want to leave you the opportunity to talk about other things that you like that maybe I didn't bring up. But I'm not a horror guy. And right. so I can't really appreciate what's going on with the camera stuff and, and you know, and just completely disarming the watcher and, you know, making you dizzy and just being in a constant state of, of dissociation and lack of of understanding of what's reality and what's not. So I, I'm not going to straight up criticize it. Um, so I'm going to throw it to you. Like, what did you 
What was your experience? Did you watch this in one sitting? Because it was 68 minutes without commercials. Yeah, I did watch it in one sitting. Yeah. Um, uh, did you... Uh, let's put it this way. As it went along, were you kind of riding with it more and more? Um, or, or, or were you sort of keeping it at arm's length because you weren't sure kind of where it was going? Because that's how I felt, the latter. Well, as I've sort of already said, when it was just about this weird, crazy guy in his weird, crazy world, I was really right along for the ride. I was really enjoying myself. When it regrounds itself in the X stuff, that's when I found it a little less compelling because I felt like, okay, you know, the end of the show involves a battle. I'm not going to say a whole lot more than that unless we, we want to, but it's like, okay, this I've seen. This is their take on a battle that I have seen a lot of other times in involving X-Men. And so it's kind of like, you know, what I thought was unique about it are not those moments, are not the moments that reground it in it being about mutants and it being a Marvel show. Uh, you know, when it was divorcing itself from all of that, that's when I found it the most fascinating. Um, but but uh, look, it was the first episode. They're trying to hook right? people. It's possible we don't see action like that for a bunch of more episodes. They had to do something to make it X-Men-y, uh, for me at least. I mean, I, I was, by the time we got to the end, I, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this show for more than a couple episodes unless something changes. And I did not love the action scene. It looked like a much, much cheaper version of the opening Age of Ultron scene. Where I agree. Where people were, clearly CGI characters were just getting pushed all over the place. But yeah. Because of the lower... Or the bu- battle in X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of that, in part because I think that final battle also, doesn't that take place in the woods or like in a, a sort yeah. of tree, foresty kind of area? Yeah. Well, well, at least in Ultron, because they have $250 million, they can make the CGI and practical relatively seamless. Here it was so right. clear. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it was supposed to be comical the way they were knocking people. Uh, I don't know who the big guy was, uh, if it was Colossus or something, who was knocking people, you know, a thousand yards, but I think it was... he was doing that with his mind, so I don't think he was Colossus. See, that's the thing. It was just, it happened so fast out of nowhere. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, And just to to complete the loop, it seems obvious that Sid Barrett is, is, uh, is rogue, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that would be the, the parallel for sure. And Melanie Bird, the one he meets at the end, the woman is Charles Xavier or whoever trains. No, um, Xavier is going to show up at some point. Not the ones we know, and it's not going to be a big part. So she's not actually Xavier, but I know what you mean. Okay, she's then gonna, she's. Yeah. I think she's Moira one? McTaggart. She's Moira yeah, McTaggart. Moira McTaggart, or yeah. um, wasn't there a comic series called like Generation X or something about younger yeah. ones that like Banshee and maybe yeah. White somebody yeah. r- runs. Um, like Emma, they take yeah. over the school after Xavier dies or something. Could like, be Emma Frost. Like, Could be yeah, Emma, Emma Frost. Frost. Yep. Um, yep. Who was also, by the way, on Fargo. I'm sure you know. Melanie Bird. Or Jean yeah. Smart was on Fargo. Uh, yes, she was. She was on the second season. She was Nominated actually, for an Emmy. Yeah, she was really good. Um, she was uh, Rachel Keller's mom, actually. Or or she's like the matriarch of a, an, a family of organized crime to which Rachel Keller is uh, one of the family members. Might actually be a grandchild. Yep. I can never remember how they're all related to each other. Um, so, I, 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 look, I, I'm not going to draw this out because this is the first episode. From a production standpoint, it, it definitely was really solid, and, and, and they yeah, have their shit together. 
it's stunning visually. It, yeah. it really has a really li- you know, it's clear they put a lot of time and effort into crafting what they want their show to look like, and they executed extremely well. Yeah. And you know, man, I, I have a very, very uh, up and down relationship with Pilot. You know, I mean, Orphan Black, I was hooked immediately with the pilot. Right. Breaking Bad is arguably the greatest first episode of any show ever. Yeah, that it took eight minutes, I think, to hook yeah. me on Breaking Bad. It took it took a minute and a half, and you see him in his underwear at the yeah. end with the gun. I mean, the beginning with the gun and the end. Um, Battlestar, I started in the middle and then went back, so I can't compare that. Uh, the Wire, it took me like two or three watchings of multiple episodes to get into that series, so that was not one that grabbed me and doesn't grab most people because it's such a slow build. But right. I think after, um, you know, and this will be my, I think, final point about Legion for now, um, because you can, you know, read my uh, blog post about uh, Chapter 1, which is what they call the first episode. If you go to our Facebook page or Twitter, anywhere, you'll see I posted it and, and talk about m- my uh, observations of the show. Um, I'm not particularly critical. I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out in my head as I write, which is generally how I write, as I figure it out as I go. But right. I will say that after Breaking Bad uh, Season 1, Episode 1, the best pilot I've ever seen is Homeland, uh, Season 1, Episode 1. And what's brilliant about Homeland is you think she's a C, uh, you know a super smart CIA agent who also is bipolar, mm-hmm. but what you realize is that what makes her instincts and, in, and intellect and intuition as an agent so heightened and brilliant is the fact that she's bipolar. And there's this constant, t- constant tension about, do I want to be normal but not be at my full, fullest? Or am I willing to sort of live on the edge here? You right. know, I mean, she's the only one that suspects this Marine of being a terrorist for like a, a season and a half, basically. And everyone thinks she's crazy. And when they find out that she is quote unquote crazy, it, you know, it completely discredits her and she has to fight her way back until mm-hmm. they realize that she was right. So, so the CIA agent as a metaphor for a bipolar personality is, is brilliant. So, you know, a telepath, a telepath as a metaphor for a schizophrenic person is not as much of a leap. And right. so if they just focus on making it weirder and weirder, which is what Aubrey Plaza and others keep promising, I don't know if I stick with the show. I, I think I need some of that X-Men stuff. If just, to, if just <laughs> as a palate cleanser, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I'm not sure I can take 60 minutes plus fast forwarding through commercials every week of, you know, all the bizarre shit that's going on in his head. The stuff that James McAvoy can do in the movies and like two minute scenes here or there, you know what I mean? Is like nowhere right. near as deep. It doesn't have the time, but really sells it. And so I hope they resist the temptation to keep, going further and further uh, into the, I guess what you would call the aesthetic part of insanity versus sort of the metaphysical part. Like I want to hear him talk about it, you know, right. I want to hear, you know, like exposition about some of the insights that he's having about reality, because we know that some of the greatest artists and philosophers were totally out of their fucking minds. Um, you know, I told Matt that uh, um, this spring I'm going to be going for a couple weeks to Scandinavia with my dad, and we're spending a good amount of time in Denmark, which I'm excited about because one of my favorite philosophers, even though he was sort of an extremist Christian philosopher, is, is Soren Kierkegaard. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a total nutball, you know, but he had some ideas about faith and religion uh, that r- still haven't really been challenged, um, uh, in my, in my mind. Um, uh, and I would love if there is a religious aspect to this show because at a certain point, you almost need a type of spirituality to deal with this kind of thing is my, is my final thought for, for this show. Sure. I mean, my favorite thought, my final thought is actually the exact opposite, which is I will like this show more the less superhero X-Men stuff is in it. If it just goes whole hog, bizarre, weird, visually kind of what the fuck is going on, if it can stick to its guns and have confidence in that, I will both respect and enjoy it more than seeing another superhero thing. I love superhero shows and movies, but even I will admit there's way too much of it. And this could be something different, could be something really interesting and weird and scary at times. And, you know, it could execute the promise that American horror story never delivered. Not, not with any real consistency. Um, you know, I'm sorry. When I say X Men stuff, I don't just mean fighting. I just mean the team stuff, the the hanging out at the X Mansion stuff. Not that they'll do that, but the interacting with other people who have great and weird powers. And it's sure. not just about him and this this inward journey inside his mind. Like, let's put it this way. I'm totally with you as long as there's a mystery behind all of this. And it's mm-hmm. not just random encounters with his insanity, if that makes sense. There needs yeah. to be some structure behind what's going on in his brain. That's not just people fucking with him or just random neurons firing. Because to be honest with you, our world is weird enough. I don't know if I need just you know more insanity in my life that has no structure or purpose. I, I agree with you that I do want this show to come to a point yeah. eventually. Like like I the just, first like let's for example, like the first fifteen minutes of the Matrix. Like give right. me something like that, right? You know, not exactly like that, but that feeling of something's off, something's wrong, you're different than other people, weird shit you're gonna experience weird shit, and there is a mystery and it's building towards something. Sorry, go ahead. Right. But then the mystery as it is revealed is pretty unique because there haven't been too many movies that suggest actually everything you've been watching up until now never really happened it's all computer programming and simulation and it makes this really interesting point about what is reality does reality exist or is it purely brain signals and neurochemistry and you know making extrasensory stimulus real that movie had a point the point that I don't want Legion to make is to just be another X thing. I don't mind good inter- lots of interactions at whatever the school they're going to take him to is if all the other characters are strong and interesting because that's fun no matter what the setting is. But I want them to make some point about, I don't know, mental illness or perception. I, I, I don't know where exactly I want them to go with that, but if it's just another – there's a war coming. These people want to wipe us out and kill us. We need you to fight. The other guys want to use you to destroy us or whatever the plot of every I don't X- think that's happening. I don't think they I don't think done so it. either, yeah. but that's what the plot of every X thing has happening. ever been. And if that's what they do again, that will be the waste a waste of a premise and a waste of an otherwise fairly unique 
bit at piece of television. I, I just want it to be philosophical, and there's a lot of philosophical stuff in the X-Men, and they've already established that the X-Men is only going to be one t- little, uh, you know, s- significant, but not the majority segment of of what's going on here. You know what I mean? And so maybe he right. starts having visions of past, present, and future, you know, like quantum physics shit. Like, that would be awesome. Sure. Like, there's tons of X-Men stuff they could work in without being the traditional X-Men. Yes, I want it to be the opposite of The Last Stand, which is one of my least favorite movies of all time i wanted to yeah. be the exact opposite of that or bvs which has absolutely oh, no thoughtfulness to it at all no i i mean for me the most interesting scenes in the pilot were conversational scenes either with him and um the interrogator guy uh or Plenty. him and the group therapy session where rachel keller where sid first shows up so it's her and him and Lenny all talking to each other. Those are the really interesting scenes that really pop out to me and that I really found myself getting lost in. She does specifically say towards the end, don't touch my skin. Right. Has to be rogue. Um, And you know what, man? If this is the beginning of like repurposing the cool parts of comic books, but giving them new names, new identities, new backstories and stuff, I will be all behind it. You know, sure. Because it's it's the same reason why I love Arrow. Growing up on Batman, I'm done with Batman. I'm cool with them repurposing stuff for Arrow. You know what I mean? Right. Like this is way more radical than that, obviously. But as mm-hmm. you've pointed out, Arrow steals a lot from Batman. But putting oh, yeah. in a new identity with a new character, new character traits uh, makes it makes it feel fresh again. Uh, my, my final thought is, I was so excited that the opening song and the opening seconds was Happy Jack by The Who, my favorite classic rock band. For sure. Which is a, a song, a, a very quaint song from the early Who about a, a short, I think it's implied kind of semi-challenged, uh, mentally challenged uh, per individual on the Isle of Man who mm-hmm. is tormented and made fun of and beat up by other kids. And like all Who songs and albums, it's all about reaching a point of enlightenment where you tune out other people and, and reach right. a place of comfort with yourself and in, in the world. Uh, and it's, it's one of those songs that's very upbeat and happy, and there's a lot of pathos underneath that. It, it was not a coincidence that they chose that song. And I'm very excited for the soundtrack to this uh, season. And speaking of which... Is this an eight episode season? Is that is that the pilot season? Is that what's going on? I don't actually know how many episodes. Okay. Yeah, apparently eight episodes. Okay. So that's good. So we'll revisit this. You know, I actually like that it's going to be on the shorter side. Um, interesting that we've had Legion and Taboo is also, I think, only eight episodes. We're seeing, maybe we're seeing a little bit of a rise of shorter miniseries almost yeah. uh, shows, which yeah. I think is good because it keeps the writers really tight. You know, it, it, they oh, yeah. got to be really lean and economic with how they write their scripts. And I like and this how FX model. I'm sorry. I like this FX model of actually having it be a full hour show and doing it over 90 minutes. It is, yeah. is really cool. I mean, you know, you know, my theory that 48 to 54 minutes is the perfect length, but I'll take 68, you know, over 40 uh, any day for a show like this. I just want to mention Matt that Rotten Tomatoes d- doesn't aggregate uh, you know every TV shows uh, every TV show. It's pretty selective. Right. And um you know Rotten Tomatoes uh or I'm sorry, it, TV reviewers tend to be behind fans. Um it, uh, I, how do I rephrase this? Fans are usually ahead of TV reviewers about shows. 
Like Breaking Bad season one is a masterpiece. But if you look at right. the reviews, it's so so for the first season, and then they jump on board for the second season. Now, you don't love season one of Game of Thrones. I happen to think Game of Thrones season one is really good. But if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's like decent but not great reviews for season one, and then every other season is like a ninety nine. But for Legion season one, with sixty reviews, which is a lot of TV reviews for Rotten Tomatoes, fifty six right. are fresh for a ninety three percent with an average rating of 8.5 and the critic consensus is bold intelligent and visually arresting legion is a masterfully surreal and brilliantly daring departure from traditional superhero conceits there you have it full stop end of story i can't wait to talk about this next week yeah and that's interesting that's coming from ron tomatoes which is owned by warner brothers so if any company would have a vested interest in shitting on property that's owned by Marvel, it would be Warner Brothers. Right. Um, well, the only way they I could mean, shit on it is the description. No, that, I, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. No, I know There's you no are. way to control I didn't know that. Rotten Tomatoes yeah. uh, scores. But that well, was – because there was all those – for like 24 hours, there was that petition to shut down Rotten Tomatoes after it gave Suicide Squad and <laughs> Batman v Superman bad reviews. <laughs> And then I was watching, I think, Red Letter Media review, and somebody said, oh, you mean Rotten Tomatoes? That's owned by Warner Brothers? And it's true. They own Rotten Tomatoes, or yeah. a subsidiary of WB owns it. Anyway, yeah. I'm excited. Time, to time talk Warner about doesn't discriminate, too. yeah. You know, but I think that if we get a lot more of those lame battles, like at the end of season one, I'm going to be less interested it's in not, it. Yeah, if they s- it's not, they're, they're just trying to hook the X-Men crowd. And, and honestly, I just needed catharsis. I'm not saying that had to be the catharsis. I love right. that there was a reveal that there are other mutants. I, they had to establish that early on. Right. I think what they're going to do is take a step back for the next couple episodes and slowly reveal who these mutants are. And maybe there are right. non-mutants what? that are working with them, which was always a big hole in the X-Men mythos was you would think you know even though they were pro mutant humans they never were sort of fighting with the the mutants that would be kind of cool in terms of advocacy here uh and again spilling over into real world issues about mental illness so here's my question for you when they first introduced tonomy and carrie uh when he's talking to the interrogator about seeing them get out of the car what did you think those two people the the black guy and the white guy when girl when they were first introduced were good people or did you think they were bad guys that were chasing david down i was so disoriented at that point i had no (laughs) idea and that's gonna lead in really really well to our next show if you're cool yeah let's move on which is the expanse uh this is technically uh season two episode three because they aired one and two back to back as like a, a movie which was awesome Yep. Um, I think you and I both not only like those two, but really like this week's episode. Sure. Um, but what I will say about The Expanse, man, and I have worked my way almost all the way through the first season, and I do like it more and more the more I watch it and get into the pacing of it and so forth. But it's not the kind of show that you really think about a lot and a lot of specifics stick with you. Um, at least so far, that's been my experience. Like, as weird as Legion Episode 1 is, and I'm not sure where it's going and where I'm going with it, I'll certainly be thinking a lot about it. And there's a lot of, you know, images and emotions that I'll be carrying around. Uh, so far, that hasn't happened with me with The Expanse, which just goes to show your theory, which is that you can really enjoy a show without it having to be sort of like a revolutionary experience. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think the thing with The Expanse is that there's so much plot that it's hard to remember 
which episode reveals what, and so many scenes are plot based. But I think it's really cool character moments that really stand out in TVs or movie is what we remember. I mean, when I think about the stuff that I like the most in the Avengers, yeah, the battle in New York is cool, but a lot of this little lines and digs they make at each other. That's the stuff that really uh, I remember the, the most, you know? Yeah. It's the character stuff. It's on the helicarrier and when they're recruiting everyone and right. Um, and and all that stuff. Uh, absolutely. Um, Loki and, uh, black widow trying to one up each other and, you know, scare each other. Yeah. So since I had only watched a few, okay. So there were 10 episodes and, season one i had watched about four or five by the time i watched the season premiere last week of the expanse so i was a little confused and then there's this week and now i've caught up mostly but it's been i've been watching one and two simultaneously which is a bizarre experience can you fill me in as to how thomas jane as miller ended up with them after getting fired from his job and why um uh, Stephen Strait seems to hate Jane so much for, uh, I guess, killing someone. Yeah, so he he hates uh, Miller because Miller shot the the scientist uh, running the station that they took in the two part season premiere. They don't have any real antagonist antagonistic feelings towards each other in season one. So all of that rage is based off of something that happened last week. That's yeah. it. Um, how exactly Miller wound up with the Rosnanti? This show has so much plot; it's hard to remember. But what I yeah. what I seem to recall is Miller gets fired. Basically, so season one for Miller is all about investigating Julie, the disappearance of Julie Mao, this Belter girl. Well, she's an Earther who joins the Belter cause and. It's unclear if Miller actually knew her or not, but seems very obsessed with finding her. Mm-hmm. And then when his mission, his investigation kind of starts bumping up against the powers that be that run Star Helix, the Belter police force, he gets fired. So he decides to pursue the investigation as, you know, on his own. He winds up on a shuttle that takes him to. I can't keep track of the different names of the stations, but the one that gets attacked at the end of season one. Eros? Eros. I think it's Eros. With all the weird experiments. Yeah. Yeah. So his investigation takes him to maybe, I think it is Eros, or maybe it's a hotel on some other station, and that's what takes him to Eros. But he he just winds up intersecting paths with the Rosinanti who are trying to... I think investigate the stealth ships and who attacked the Canterbury yeah. and the Doniger. Yeah. It's a lot of plot and I honestly yeah. can't remember all the details. Yeah. It's okay. A so, complaint I have with sci-fi shows. So, so part of the reason I'm doing the, the semi live blog is, is right. to help me understand these complicated shows. And I did, I did a, an act by act breakdown of the expanse. So if you're cool, I was going to run just through a couple of the points, uh, uh, that I came up with and let me know what you think as kind of a way of working through a show that even someone like you who's watched it in order is not totally clear on the plot. So we can, we can talk about plot, but let's focus on character aesthetic stuff and so forth. So one thing that I talked about, and this is an obvious thing is that with the Mars Marines, they're definitely going for a starship troopers type thing. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I would say so for sure. I mean, it feels like StarCraft if you guys have played StarCraft out there, but the StarCraft Marines are, are based heavily on, um, on, uh, on Starship Troopers. So yeah, it's interesting because they got some Battlestar, they got some Blade Runner, they got some Starship Troopers. It's, you know, it, they're coming by it honestly and they're taking good things from it. But one of my main takeaways, uh, early on in this week's episode, which was called Static, season two, episode three, is that, I'm. Do you remember how uh, when we first talked about this a couple weeks ago, I was saying how they need to get Thomas Jane with the main crew. Well, here he is with the main right. crew. And to be honest with you, I don't know if it's going to work out, but this was the right move because despite all my criticisms of Game of Thrones, ultimately my main criticism is there's too many characters and they're too separated and I don't know how they're related and I can't keep track of them and they're geographically and narratively so so separate. And so I really like in the second season where they're really trying to take a step up to to unite the main character of one arc I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest, man. I mean, Agdashlu's character almost felt more connected because of her investigation into Holden than uh, than Miller did with them. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of cool that he's there now, you know. And he's going to be giving them a hard time, and they're going to be giving him a hard time. I think that's that's the way to play. I, I don't know if if you like that he ended up with them relatively early on in, in the series, assuming this goes more than three seasons. I mean, I think they wind up teaming up pretty early on in the books, too. I don't believe Leviathan Wakes, the first book in the the Expanse series that these are based off of, um, I don't believe they're structured the way Game of Thrones is, which is each chapter is devoted to a different lead character. And so the books, the Game of Thrones books really go all over the place because one is about Arya, and she's off in one part of the world. One's about Sansa, she's somewhere else. One's about Jon Snow, he's somewhere else. I think the books are a lot tighter in their setting. And I think while Game of Thrones pulls off that divided narrative fairly effectively as a TV show, I do think with this, if they tried to have Miller completely off on his own, doing his own thing, divorced yeah. from all the other main characters it would really get confusing and it would probably bog the the narrative down a lot because you'd be bouncing back and forth between these people on other sides of the solar system. Uh, so I think it, it works to have them together. I do think uh, Miller's very Decker from uh, Blade Runner attitude of everything sucks. You're already beaten. You don't know it works well against Holden's idealism Um you know, so it's interesting to see the two of them play off of each other. You kind of get the sense Fred Johnson is the one who's kind of trying to skirt the middle, the middle line a little bit. Yep, I actually read um, they're releasing a four-part uh, uh, comic. It might just be digital, um, mm -hmm. but I got the first one just to check it out <clears throat> in Comicsology. Uh, that's sort of a prequel to all this, and it's written by uh, James Corey. The animation and writing is nothing special, but what you do learn is that Holden basically got fired from the Earth uh, Army, the Earth Marines, because he tried to stop them from firing on a ship that they thought was was like a terrorist ship, and he was convinced right. it was civilians, and it was civilians. But, yeah, but it did. I mean, I know they reference this in the show, but they they really go through the whole thing. And what's interesting is is that 
the admiral, the, who's a woman, um, or, or the commander or whatever, she doesn't just fire him for disobeying orders and going against her, you know, who says, well, 95% of the time it is terrorists. It just, you happen to be right this one time, but because she thinks it's, it's, it's a bad career move essentially for him to stay. It's not a good fit. Um, and so he, you know, it, it is pretty organic how he does sort of end up out there. Um, you know, trying to defend the people in, in what's the equivalent of the outer rims or whatever, you know, in the belt or, right. or, or so forth. And so the idealism, yeah, m- makes more sense when you know a little bit of the backstory, which I hadn't quite picked up um, in the show. Yeah. Um, and, and they do, I, basically, as I understand, the way his character is in the show, Fred Johnson was essentially lied to and told to wipe these belters out as a show of support strength of you guys are scum who live on the belt and can't and just are slaves to us and if you rise up we will starve you out and then kill you and not even think about it um and fred johnson finds out he's been used and he's like fuck you i'm gonna go join the opa yeah and uh well i'm about to i i want to talk about the martian marines um but i will say I think you and I agree. Well, I have been saying that I thought Naomi had potential, and I think we're starting to see that potential with Dominique Tripper's performance come out a little bit more. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I I think so. Um, I think this episode really saw Naomi come out as more of a complete person and not just a a sci-fi standard character. Yeah. you know, we see her playing, for lack of a better word, space squash, <laughs> yeah. and she goes to a rave. Um, and I, I wish more shows and movies got how important it is to have scenes like that that show characters doing something other than serving the narrative of the overall show. Mm-hmm. You know, Firefly has that scene, I think, in the second episode where they're playing space basketball or, or whatever it is, you know, throw the ball through the hoop. Yeah. Uh, and that does a lot to give these characters three-dimensionality. And you don't need to have that much time devoted to that stuff. You know, that's two or three, three minutes actually. of it. That's episode three. The one you don't but, like. But, you know, that's the intro to that episode. And the between the rave and the space squash game, yeah. that's what, probably five minutes tops, yeah. maybe four. Three. Well, not to mention the very Battlestarry non-romance scene where you think it's going to be a sex scene and yet they find a reason to fight after kissing for like two seconds. It's, it's very like Starbuck Apollo or something like that, which I love. That's what you're supposed to do, you know? Not gratuitous sex. Like, make us earn it. And, you know, I, I said in my post, like, it, it was obvious that these two were going to hook up, but it would have been worse if they didn't because it, it just seems natural. But the, 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 they continue to butt heads, I, I think, is interesting. Um, and, and they're not just going whole hog into like, into like a romance story, which would be sort of the normal move in this situation. Right. Um, and uh, speaking of strong women characters, uh, Frankie Adams... Um, the head of the Martian Marines, uh, Bobby Draper, uh, and you made a comment about the Ma- the Mad Men connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dom Draper, the main character's son, is named Bobby Draper. I don't know why they decided to name this character that. I I don't know if this character, Marsh uh, Gunny, as she's known, because she's the gunnery sergeant, uh, is in the books or not. I have no idea. 
But if she isn't, why they picked Bobby Draper as the name for her, I, I mean, I have no idea. Bobby Draper as a kid in Mad Men has no real – nothing happens to him. He's not interesting. He's just the other kid who's not their daughter, Sally, who actually like develops as a person. Yeah, and uh, you know, Frankie Adams is obviously New Zealander of Maori descent. Uh, she's six feet listed, which means she's probably a little bit taller. Um, she's also an amateur boxer, so she knows what the fuck she's doing. Um, and she's got a great look. Uh, we'll have to see whether whether there's three dimensionality or even two and a half dimensionality going on. But man, I remember watching this episode early on and being like, "Oh my god, they're forcing tension with the Marines because of all the testosterone." Blah 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 blah. But they end up kind of coming together at the end, and I like that. I needed a moment in the expanse uh, that that took me by surprise that you know it wasn't just testosterone from men and women uh, going at each other. That there was some real. Um, brotherhood sisterhood stuff going on and i kind of hope that they make the you know the martians the bad guys but that we're with them in some ways because you know because we're with the characters does that make sense you know like i I don't know who's going to end up on like the moral high ground of this this whole battle They, they certainly are out for blood um but making us you know like them at least and maybe identify with them hopefully i i think is a smart move for the series again i i don't know about the books uh, what what's your feeling about her uh specifically and about kind of the marines in general as an intro this season the direction I honestly think this is going to go is that Christian is going to ultimately succeed in sniffing out what is really going on. There is not going to be a war. She is going to be so resentful of that she's, that she's going to go rogue and attack something, and then it's going to cause some kind of ramifications for the greater universe. I still don't care about any of the Martian people. Um, I do find it interesting, the idea that there are at least two of these soldiers are people of it seems incredible wealth you know gunny's family like owns all of the terraformers on mars and then the blonde racist chick is also super rich um and you get the sense also that alex uh the the you know kamal i think is his character's name yeah yeah come on uh he was also a martian soldier or was at one point also has a fair amount of money because if you hear him talk, he talks like a southern dandy, which is not he which is one thing well that doesn't do. exactly yeah doesn't exactly work about his character is his his weird southern accent. But yeah. you get the sense he has money too. So you know this idea of all these rich boys and girls fighting Martian battles. I, I don't know. I, I don't think we're necessarily supposed to see them as good or. I think we're supposed to see them as important, that they are going to do something that's going to have major ramifications for the plot. And I don't think it's going to be following the orders of Martian higher up. I think they're going to disobey orders and start some shit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying we don't need them to be good. We just need them to be identifiable. Right. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, what's interesting about this, again, with a Game of Thrones comparison, is that there, there were a lot more Expanse books completed when they started the show than Game of Thrones books. And Corey's been churning them out m- more quickly than George yeah. R. R. Martin has been churning them out. Yeah, he's been, for a while, he was putting them out one a year, almost the same day every year, mid-June. And then finally, the last one that came out took 
an extra six months and it came out in December of whatever yeah. year that was. But compared with George R. R. Martin, who I'm not even sure wants to finish his series at this point, I, I really think yeah. he kind of just wants to tell HBO how it ends, get the money that HBO pays him, which is probably quite a bit, and not have to fucking worry about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just pulling up the uh, the broadcast dates here. So, let's see. So, Game of Thrones Season 1 came out in, what, 2011? Uh, that sounds right. Sure. When, yeah, sure. Yeah. That sounds about right. So it came out in 2011. It was definitely it, before I moved to Oklahoma, which was June 2012. So, yeah. So, essentially, Martin was polishing off his fifth book in the series, Dance with Dragons. That's correct. A- around the same time, almost exactly the same time the series came out. Yeah, that sounds right. Now, he's published nothing since then in in this a Song of Ice and Fire, which makes sense because he's a producer and a, you know, and I, I assume a, a writer or at least takes passes at scripts and stuff for the show, you know. It's really tough. It seems like Corey is not necessarily a, a, as you know, involved on a daily basis and because he's already written 6, the 6th having just come out um a couple months ago, he doesn't even need to. I mean, they have all the material they need um, already. Right. Except that there are a lot of people who are very, very, very passionate about these books and want to know how the books end. Well, and but what I'm postulating is, you know, let's let's put it this way: a game, the original Game of Thrones book came out in 1996. The yep. fifth one came out in 2011, okay? Yep. So there's a 15-year gap for four for five books. Right. Leviathan Wakes to Babylon's Ashes was five years. He's been churning mm-hmm. out one a year, and he's doing one for, ne- for this year, next year, and the year after. So he's going to have nine books in nine years. Right. So the question is, if you are the TV makers... Do you just let Corey keep churning them out? And, and, and I mean, do you feel like you have to do one book a year? Or you know, I mean, they claim the first season encapsulates Leviathan's Leviathan Wakes. I guess that would mean this season's Caliban's War, which is the second book. Um, do, do you see where I'm going here? I'm not really sure which is the superior model, and that's why I'm kind of fascinated about watching Game of Thrones Season 6, which I know for a fact is, is going beyond where the novels are. And I know there's a lot of Game of Thrones people who are very upset about this. The, the, the people right. who watch the show but prefer the books, you know, are, you know, they don't want spoilers, or they're not even watching the show after mm-hmm. Season 5. I don't know if you know people like this they're not even watching after season five because they don't want possible spoilers for stuff that might be worked in you know no everybody i know who's read the books also watches the show and doesn't as far as i can tell doesn't seem to care that much okay um i don't know exactly what sci-fi's plan is you know if this show goes the way every science fiction every sci-fi channel series goes it's going to go off the air before they have enough seasons to be running up against uh, the book's publication dates because how many series seasons did Battlestar actually go four? Yeah. By the way, James Corey is two people. I had no idea. Really? It's a pseudonym. Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. Okay, so maybe I should stop referring to James Corey as him. (laughs) It's like it's like the Hardy Boys. (laughs) 
I think they are going to churn out more stories than sci-fi is going to wind up making because even the longest running sci-fi shows go off the air before, in most cases, before they hit seven seasons. I think maybe the original Stargate went went that long, or it actually maybe went ten. It maybe went a real long time, but well, that was yeah. the outlier yeah. um i mean in length of a show is certainly not predictive of quality i mean you know right. there was there was nine or ten seasons of stargate sg1 four of atlantis but the two of stargate universe was a thousand times better than all those uh, right put together they can also they're not required to break up the narrative according to the books game of thrones played fast and loose a little bit with, with the series breaks versus when the book the books the books break up i don't I don't know what happens exactly when in the books, but as I understand it, they took some stuff from book three and put it at the end of season two, and they saved some stuff in season two and put it in three, and then Mm -hmm. they stretch out the back half of three into a whole season. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, in the same way that Lord of the Rings messes around a little bit with the order of events in the movies versus the books, Mm -hmm. uh, not too much, but a little bit, um, they still... You know, for instance, I think Shelob is in book is in the Two Towers book, but I think is in yep. the start of Return of the King, the movie. Right. And so B- Boromir dies in the Two Towers, but in the movies, it's Fellowship of the Ring, which makes more sense. Yeah. Really? I could just. Are yeah. you sure about that? Yep the end of uh, the end of Fellowship in the book is you hear Boromir's horn, but it's following Frodo oh. and Sam running away, and then it just so ends. so the battle where they get taken isn't until all right. So there you go. The so, battle's not even in the book. When when they when they pick up in two towers, um, he he's already dead, I think, or or, or died. Oh, they don't even show it happening. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> yeah. Um, by the I way, right. really quickly, uh, Daniel Abraham, who's one half of James Corey, um, yep. has worked on numerous projects with George R. R. Martin, so they know what they're doing with this stuff. Sure. So, and we and, know that George and, R. R. Martin I'm sorry. Has, uh, sorry. Go uh, ahead. The books, the Expanse books, are based on a role-playing game set up by Frank, uh, his co-writing partner, um, developing a sci-fi role-playing universe spanning the solar system, which just goes to show that many of the best fantasy books, and apparently some of the best uh, uh, sci-fi books, come f- uh, basically they do product testing through role-playing. This has been happening since the 70s and 80s. I've never sure. heard it happen in this kind of way with two authors with a sci-fi RPG universe, but there you have it. Go ahead. That's that's pretty cool. It is cool. Um, and we and I know that George R. R. Martin also likes sci-fi. I think the next thing he oh, wants yeah. to do is a sci-fi series. Yep. Um, so yeah. the point is, they could take the books, sci-fi channel, and break them up however they want, adapt them in whatever order they want. They don't have to go, season one is book one, season two is book two. Um, as long as it's well are, executed yeah. and it, it doesn't go completely off the rails with the plot. Yep. I, I, I don't really have a problem with that. I'd go as know. slow as possible. Honestly, <laughs> like why rush through it? Like maybe you get canceled after three seasons. Maybe you get canceled after five seasons. Maybe it goes longer, right. but like why, why rush just because of the books in some ways, the fact that he's doing one a year makes the continuity easier i think for the for the tv writers like where george oh, i think so where george rr R. martin's head was 20 years ago versus now it's it's no yeah. wonder that the the first three books of a song of ice and fire are considered better than the more recent ones from what i understand and the same thing happened with stephen king and the dark tower books where yeah. he wrote 
the first four over a span of about, I think, 14 years. And then he really hit a writer's block. And then he had his car crash. And when he recovered from that, he kind of felt like, okay, I got to finish these. And the fifth one is still pretty good. It's mostly adapting um, The Magnificent Seven. You Mm -hmm. know, a village hires Roland and his friends to protect them from bandits and other stuff happens but then six and seven were rushed and lazy and narcissistic and bad Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is because he got sick of the project but felt like he owed it to the fans to finish it Mm -hmm. and i think martin is in that same place with game of thrones to some extent i don't think he'll ever admit that but that's kind of the hunch i have yep um that could be completely unfounded uh whereas i think the the two who make up james quarry uh, are they've got a much more clear sense of where they still want the narrative to go, and I feel like they're still churning it out because they want to. Yeah. Um, so you know, oh, in the same way, Scalzi is still producing old yes. man's war books yeah. because I think he still has something to say in that universe. Yeah, but he's also done dystopian books. He's done satire yep. books. He's done all sorts of stuff. Um, yep. All right, now we're going to pivot to CW. Um, I just want to mention to the listeners that the American Gods TV series is is starting in a couple months. And Man, I, can't uh, wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. And I don't want to spoil anything about it, but you'll know the reference. Um, I bought my dad. It was just his birthday a few days ago. Neil Gaiman just published like on his birthday. Norse uh, mythology. Norse mythology. And I bought that for my dad and he was so fucking psyched. You have um, to tell me how it is. I'm, yeah. I haven't, I don't own it yet. It's on my list yeah. for sure. Yeah, I can't, um, I can't wait to see it. So, um, all right. So we are going to pivot and end with some CW action. Um, mostly Supergirl. Um, but really quick, Matt, I think this would be a good time to throw out a couple shows. Well, one show that, that, that I've been watching and one show that you've been watching, uh, that's not necessarily quote unquote live, but I think it's important that, you know, people realize we are watching streaming things and shows that, you know, have aired a little while ago and we're just getting back on. So, uh, do you want to say anything, uh, really quick about the crown, which I know you've been getting into uh, yeah i have definitely joined the the legion of you know hipsters who are into the crown not that i consider myself a hipster but i do really <laughs> like the crown it's um i liked down like abbey a lot i was just is, gonna say it's just like down abbey That's it hilarious. is definitely yeah. the heir apparent to uh down abbey and i don't think there's anything wrong with that it is a beautiful looking show it is quite lavish it is very well cast uh, Claire Foy as young Prince uh, Queen Elizabeth II, really, really good. Matt Smith, who most people will know as the 11th iteration of the Doctor on Doctor Who, pretty good. Um, some of the same emotional, like he doesn't have great emotional range on Doctor Who, and it definitely you can see the same thing right. here. Um, although it's interesting to watch. He plays uh, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, uh, Queen Elizabeth's husband, who becomes more and more of a dick as the show goes on. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to watch the way that the job burns him out um, or the crown kind of burns him out. Jared Harris, who on The Expanse is Anderson Dawes. Uh, and on he was Lane Price on Mad Men. He was Moriarty in the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movie, the second one. Uh, so a char- one of my favorite character actors, Jared Harris, as mm-hmm. um, uh, King George, you know, the one who served in World War II. John Lithgow as uh, Winston Churchill. Really, really, really well done, entertaining, compelling, heartfelt TV. Um, so, you know, 
it's slow. There's not any, you know, there's no one in capes. Well, there's a lot of people in capes, but not superheroes. Um, you know, but there's no, you got to like this kind of very, very slow storytelling and you've got to like historical dramatization. But if you do, this is really some of the best. Mm-hmm. So my show, which kind of came out of nowhere, but you know, man, there's times when you've heard a show is funny or interesting and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have like, you know, I think you and I both have sort of a roster of both TV and movie actors that will give anything a chance if, sure. the, if a number of them are on that list. Paul Giamatti, Jeffrey Combs, for sure. And so I was on HBOGo.com actually looking to start watching uh, some of season six of Game of Thrones, uh, which I have a little bit and will continue to. And I stumbled across Silicon Valley, which I mm-hmm. had heard was very funny. And luckily, they had a picture of the main cast, and in the main cast is... T.J. Miller? T.J. Miller, who you either love or hate. I fucking love him. Martin Starr, one of the unsung Judd Apatow heroes from the Freaks and Geeks days, who has hilarious cameos in almost all the Seth Rogen movies, and is just a hysterical dude. Also, really, really funny and interesting character in um, Adventureland, the uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, uh, Ryan Reynolds movie. He was great. And Kumail uh, Nanjani, who came to my attention from Will Wheaton uh, uh, playing on one of the tabletop shows <laughs> where he was so out of his element with all these nerds and was just making hilarious jokes, started following him on Twitter, found out that like not only Wheaton, but like Joss Whedon and all these famous people followed him. And he's like one of the funniest t- Twitter follows and recently read that his movie that he wrote with his Jewish wife, Emily Gordon, called The Big Sick, is already like considered like an Oscar contender this year and has been killing it at the festivals and is based on his actual courtship of his now jewish wife although she doesn't play herself he plays himself um and you know how unhappy his muslim family is he's from uh, pakistan and i started watching this show and just martin star and uh, kumail nanjani going at each other and making you know racist racist and nationalistic and intellectual you know jibes at one another mix in some tj miller and then you throw in zach woods who was really really funny and creepy in, in the later seasons of the office he was on veep i heard he was hysterical in ghostbusters it is it again creepy but very lovable and on top of all this you know hilarity y- you have you know a pretty heartfelt story about these somewhat misguided but brilliant and well-meaning silicon valley kids up against all of these billionaires who have their heads up so far up their asses and so Mm -hmm. it's great satire but also human comedy i highly recommend to anyone out there you know i'm always looking for good comedy i was thrilled to stumble across this and watched all 30 episodes in like a week and a half because they're like 25 (laughs) minutes long or something like that which i love you know and uh speaking of 25, 25 minutes long i'm just going to quickly plug that i just released my star wars rebels podcast Bizzlecast 81 with my buddy adam Dietz. um you, people should check that out check out silicon valley check out the crown we'll have more uh, such shows for you in the future but for now my friend let us move to the cw and let us start where we generally start and where we should start i think which is supergirl for sure and uh this week <clears throat> episode of supergirl was it continued this plot that was hinted at in the last couple of episodes with McGann Moore's 
John Jones's uh, friend, basically a white Martian, John Jones being a green Martian who comes to earth kind of to escape the white Martians who are hunting her because she basically refused to commit genocide, but she still feels really, really guilty over all the horrible things her and other white Martians like her have done. Now a couple of white Martians have tracked her to earth. They want her to come back and stand trial for her war crimes or they'll kill Supergirl, John Jones and pretty much everybody else that she likes. Uh, And so Supergirl and Alex and John have to stop the white Martians. And Supergirl is also dealing with some feelings of abandonment as Alex continues to develop her relationship with uh, her new girlfriend, uh, Maggie Sawyer. There's a lot of things I like about this episode. Yeah. A, A, aliens. Yep. Keep bringing me aliens. That big evil alien looks so good for television. I mean, when she socked him in the face, or when Alex was revealed and her hand started turning, I mean, I don't know how they're making this happen on SDW budget, but this looks better than The Flash. I mean, I know The Flash is supposed to be intentionally campy, and they have too many effects on The Flash. They gotta spread the money around, but this looked really great. I love that the Martians are involved, you know, like, they keep it relatively local, uh, you know, as Superman and Supergirl go. Um, right. and, uh, David Harewood as John Jones. Can you explain, I, I just want to praise David Harewood real quick. And then can you explain to me how he ended up on earth in his position? But really quickly through the first two seasons of Homeland, David Harewood played an extremely subtle CIA director in charge of, of Claire Danes's character, Carrie Matheson, who did want to do the right thing, but his version of the right thing was not always aligned with hers or with reality. And he made some bad decisions and some bad calls. And ultimately he tried to make the right call and it it blew up in his face a little bit. Um, But he's a really good actor. And I think, you know, if you've never seen David Harewood before, he seems like an out and out good guy in this show, but, but, but the subtlety of his performance, if you see him in roles like Homeland make a lot of sense. Go ahead, man. Sure. So, uh, John Jones's deal is the John. I mean, again, these comics, these characters get rewritten over and over and over sure. again and rebooted, but the, the generally accepted story is that a, detective uh, i'm sorry a scientist on earth is experimenting with a long range it's either a communication device or a teleportation device and it works better than he could have possibly dreamed when it teleports a martian to earth but it teleports him across both time and space and so it turns out that by the time he arrives on earth the Martian race has been wiped out. So he's the last Martian. His name is John Jones. I believe in most versions of the story, the scientist actually then dies. So he can't even send John back if he wanted to. Um, So John is kind of stuck. And so he becomes a member of the justice league. He was actually one of the original five members of the justice league. When that comic debuted in, I want to say the sixties sometime, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he takes on multiple character. He becomes human from time to time. He doesn't become human, but he can shapeshift. So he takes on the guise of various humans as a way in part to help people, as a way to explore humanity. Uh, his most commonly known alias is a guy named John Jones, just with regular spelling, who's a private eye. 
usually white in the comics. Um, although I think in more recent reboots, he's been a black guy. Um, he loves Oreos, uh, which is a funny little weird thing about him. And I think, at, <laughs> I think at various times he also, uh, has lived in Boston, I think has been his home city. Uh, so really great character. Um, in most versions of his appearances on TV or, or video games or movies, he is almost always played by or voiced by a black person. I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but when he showed up on, um, Smallville black guy, uh, when most of the voice, the voice characters who actors who have done him have been black. Um, so I don't know if that's just, they wanted somebody with a deep register because his character is kind of tall and imposing and has a deep voice. And maybe there are just more black voice actors who can reach well, that level. I mean, look, um, he, he played a complex CIA director on Homeland. He can play right. a somewhat less complex, but like more likable, uh, DEO, uh, you know, director on uh, Supergirl. I think it's interesting that the aliens are holding the positions of control without people realizing it. Right. Um, uh, and I continue, as you do, to love the sisterly relationship. It hasn't reached Jess Trish level yet for me. Now, part of that is just because you know how I feel about Jessica Jones, the TV show. But part right. of that is also because the Jess Trish relationship is based on really, really uh, real shit, <laughs> to, for lack of yes. a better word. You know what I mean? Just getting over rape trauma, basically, and right. Trish getting over abuse yeah. um, together. So it's not a fair comparison, but I'll tell you, those two sisterly or sisters in all but name relationship are two of my favorite relationships on any television show in the last few years. Uh, yeah, I, no, I would agree with you. And, and I think in general, as much as I like the writing on Supergirl, I, I would say Jessica Jones has still got stronger writing. And so the characters come through a little bit better. It's Fun such fact, a different show. It's such oh, a well, different oh, show. Oh, unbelievably. Yeah. And both very feminist in their own ways. Yeah. Um, now I, I would say also Supergirl is appropriate for children and seriously, I'm all for teaching young girls that they need to be aware that they are sort of in danger, but that is not an appropriate show to be showing to kids. That is too violent, too scary, too well, it's real. Not even of a, it's not even a matter of appropriateness that they won't even understand what the fuck is going on. There is definitely that, that too. Um, I mean, they won't be entertained by it because there's so little superhero stuff. Yes, I, I agree. Um, that that's definitely part of it as well. Quick fun fact about Martian Manhunter: yes. character was created in 1955 by Joseph Samixon, yeah. another Jewish guy from Trenton, New Jersey. Also, mm. he was a biochemist, so that might explain why he kind of had this scientific origin for this character. Um, you know, he did some pulp sci-fi writer, science fiction writing as well. I've said before that the Silver Age, the um, kind of the, the 50s and 60s of DC, was when a lot of modern DC, as we think of it, was born. Mm-hmm. Heavy influence of Jewish sci-fi pulp writers, just like uh, Joseph Samixon. Uh, so, mm-hmm. anyway, I have a uh, I have a, a, a kind of irrelevant but w- but just weird observation. Um, right. 
Supergirl has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb out of like 60,000 users, which doesn't make any sense because the individual episodes are rated high and people in the zeitgeist seem to really like her. Critics seem to like her. Is this just, you know, again, the like Suicide Squad crew just hating on an empowered female superhero? Because Jessica Jones has an 8.2, but Daredevil has an 8.8, which is ridiculous. I mean, it, it certainly could be that. I mean, 60,000 reviews, who knows who these 60,000 people are? Oh, yeah. I have no you idea, know, but it's still a lot. I mean, it just it just doesn't make sense with how well the, the show's been kind of, uh, I don't know, seen by the public, it, it seems to me. Right. I mean, you know, like, if you get fired from your job and that's the night you happen to rate Supergirl and you're just in a shitty mood because you just got fired, mm-hmm. you're probably never going to change that vote, but you voted it down. So... I don't know that I put a ton of stock into these kind of things. I, I especially don't know who it is that reviews IMDb or who reviews for IMDb. How do you have to register? Can you vote anonymously? I, I don't know what you do have could. to register. It doesn't mean you can't vote multiple times. Shows like Game of Thrones are like nine point eight. I mean, it's it's really imbalanced towards a certain segment of the TV voting public. It seems to me. I I, I don't know. I, I I don't really care. I, and to be honest, I don't think the CW cares very much about no, that either. I, I, I think guess they this was, care about ratings, was, but yeah, they care about ratings. This was just a leading question towards: Have you heard discontent in any quarters from or about Supergirl? Because it seems to me everyone's pretty positive about it. It just stuck out to me. I was like, what? Mo- I got to be honest. I only know maybe five people who watch this show: you, yeah. me, you my mom, and two online. of my friends. So, but, yeah, but you read. I mean, the reviews I read. Uh, yeah. I like, you know, yeah. like the show, but there's a good chance that if I started yeah. reading an author that was really critical, I would maybe yeah. stop reading. Although CBR comicbookresources.com yeah. is always critical of Gotham and I really enjoy watching uh reading those, so I don't know. Um I I don't know who these voters are. I don't I don't put a lot of stock into it. I think the show is really good. I don't think it's a 9.8. I definitely think it's better than a 6.6. Yeah. Um you know, it's a it's an A minus show that occasionally drops to a B plus and occasionally hits an A. Um, but and at I, least, I, and that's at least, fine. Yeah. My whole thing is at least the cheesiness of the show completely fits in with what the show's trying to accomplish. Yes. Whereas when Arrow and even Flash sometimes get cheesy, it really makes me roll my eyes. I mean, I never roll my eyes when Supergirl gets cheesy because I'm maybe just going in with different expectations. I'm to- I like that it's a family show and I'm envisioning young empowered girls and women watching this show and I'm going hell yeah, you know. Whereas like Arrow, it's just like come on guys. Yeah. And that I think speaks to something that that if nothing else I kind of have to admit, which is I, I am I'm a fan of all of these, but for Supergirl, I'm a homer. I want Supergirl to yeah. succeed, and I Me think too. in this world, I, I need Supergirl to exist in a way that I don't even need the Flash and Arrow. I like the Flash and Arrow, but I need Supergirl. And so I can overlook flaws and just focus on the intent and the stuff that I really like. Yeah. A good example, this past episode, mm-hmm. all of this stuff with mistaken identities – I'm not sure it totally makes a lot of sense. It the timeline, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. But I don't care because I want this show to be good well, and I want this it, show to exist. So. They do it to, so they can get main characters to play outside themselves. And how fun right. is that? That's so fun, you know? Exactly. Um, you know, and when win, when we get to see evil win, it's a really like fun Wynn. little moment. I like um, win. I like win a lot more than I like uh, Jeremy. I'm sorry, Makad Brooks as Jimmy James Who, Olsen. By the way, it was a very episode. Un- and it was very unnoticeable absence. It wasn't until afterwards I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Win just says, oh yeah, remember James exists. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember James exists. Well, I'm gonna go do something with him. Okay, yeah. we don't have to show that on TV. It's not important. I mean, um, I, I feel the same way about Jessica Jones that you do about Supergirl and needing her to exist. Right. It's a little different because I actually, you know, I fell in love with Jessica Jones, the show, because of the show, and then it became like a rallying cry for me personally. Like it wasn't, right. I didn't know enough about her ahead of time where you knew, you knew more about Supergirl ahead of time than I knew about Jessica Jones. And I know that Supergirl is different in the in the show than she is in the comics, but I think... I have to imagine for you that on one hand, knowing about Supergirl in the comics and knowing about Superman and knowing that she was going to be an amalgamation makes you even more invested. For sure. Because the Superman mythology is something I really do like. You know, I've said Superman is not my favorite superhero, but he is one that I am very invested in and attached to and still think was the most important, you know, that Superman started everything and every superhero that's come since has been either in conversation or an intentionally contrast to what Superman was. And so it was cool to see another Superman, even if this Superman was female. Um, so, yeah, so my pre-existing interest in the Superman symbolism definitely attracted me to Supergirl, especially when I saw the show yeah. was going for that same symbolism and honestly, achieved it. Honestly? Mm-hmm. If we could get an extended series of Supergirl and Jessica Jones together, I would get rid of all of the Defenders and all of the other CW shows. I would trade for a multi-season arc, or at least a single season with with JJ and uh, and, and Kara. I it would just be so great because JJ could be the brains of the operation on the ground. She doesn't have to be as powerful. Like they really do complement each other in so many ways. You know, I feel like I- it would be awesome. I think I figured out what this premise would be. I've, I've got it down perfectly. Hit so me. in the mid-90s, the, I've talked about this on podcast before, Marvel and DC did a versus two-month thing where like Superboy fought Spider-Man, and they, they did all these team-ups, and you, you voted, you wrote in who you thought would win each battle, yep. and there was a whole, whichever side wins would wipe out the other's universe. Obviously, neither got wiped out. So they do Marvel versus DC. They ha- Let me finish this whole thought. They have all the stars battling, but when Supergirl and Jessica Jones have to battle, they basically say, fuck this, they team up, and they go stop something else. So like they're the two, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and Christian Bale or Ben Affleck are beating the crap out of each other. But Supergirl and and Jessica Jones are like, nah, the hell with this. Yeah. We're not letting you tell us what to do. We're going to go be friends and go fight this other criminal who's like killing women or something. Yeah. I mean, throw <laughs> Wonder Woman in there. Throw sure. Olivia Munn as Psylocke in there. I mean, can you imagine an all-women team? Who? Thea Queen. Uh, yeah. Oh, the Queen, Speedy, uh, X twenty three, the young uh, female yeah, Wolverine girl. If she doesn't suck, sure. Um, well, I don't think I think they're going to do a future jump with her for the next movie. But yeah, I mean, it's just great, you know, to, the, the, these characters. 
And, uh, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that you and I are, are, are into the, the female characters. And part of it's just talent, let's be honest, you know? I mean, right. of all of these TV superhero talent, uh, you know, this, I should say, this superhero talent, Kristen Ritter and Melissa Benoist are up at the top. Man, woman, black, white, I don't care what it is. For sure. Although I don't know that I would necessarily say Melissa Benoist is better than Stephen Amell or Grant Gustin, both of whom have had had starts on her in these properties. I mean, Melissa Benoist, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, she was on Glee, and I guess she was okay, but she was on Glee during the era when Glee wasn't as good as it was previously. So, you know, this was a role that she found that spoke to her and brought out something in her that I don't think she had had a chance to show before. Um, You know, I find her incredibly compelling, but... Grant Gustin always talks the same, and I like it. Stephen Amell always talks the same. Melissa Benoist has a lot of voices. She certainly has two distinct ones with her, you know, uh, alter identity. Like, I, I never feel like Grant Gustin changes, you know, when he goes into Flash. And even Amell, That's true. It, it doesn't feel like Amell changes that much when he goes into Arrow, other than the voice modulating device, you know. Yeah, the I, modulating thing effect makes it harder to emote because it's all electronic anyway and then yeah the flash doesn't talk very much um so yeah you're right you you have failed the city (laughs) (laughs) speaking of which the lego crossovers with the cw characters are great i was like that's grant gustin's voice yeah yep yeah they're really adorable um other thing i wanted to uh, shout out from supergirl this week so this episode was called The Martian Chronicles, which is um, Ray Bradbury amazing yeah, book. Yeah, very famous Ray One of my Bradbury favorites. amazing book. Right. Interestingly enough, one of the characters in that is a woman is a Martian caught in a forced marriage and this episode reveals that McGann Moore's was sort of involuntarily wed to one of the white Martians who comes to Earth hunting hunting her down. Yep. But the uh, the sci-fi property that I think it actually took the most from was actually The Thing, um, the oh, John yeah. Carpenter uh, story, uh, yeah, movie. It had about, nothing to do with The Martian Chronicles, yeah. No, not at all. But that's about an alien that crash lands in the Antarctic, and there's this base, and it can change shape. And so there, it's all about paranoia and fear that the person next to you is actually the alien that wants to kill you and eat you. Mm-hmm. And so to test out who's the alien, they do this thing where they apply a hot, they superheat a a piece of wire and they stick it in each person's blood. And if the blood just doesn't do anything, it's just blood. But if it jumps around and reacts, it's probably alien blood because every piece of the alien is sort of a living creature here to test who's who they put, they set up an open flame and they make each person hold out their hand to it because Martians are afraid of and weakened by fire. Um, Okay. It felt straight out of the thing. Very cool. Um, we also finally got a mention of Hronmir, the Martian god of fire and death and a mm. few other things, which I've been waiting for John Jones to reference since this show came on the air. So that was awesome. I- I'm going to say this once and then I'll let it go because this is way true of the CW shows, but even the expanse and okay. breaking bad and Battlestar would never do this, which is the spinning camera. I am sick of spinning the camera. Do a fucking close-up on the fucking face of the actor. Like, why are you moving it? You know, not everything is like the the scene on the helicarrier in the Avengers, you know? That's the exact scene I was thinking of. I mean, think about Firefly. I mean, there's dynamic camera during action, but how often does Joss shake the camera when it's just on a character? Never. 
Very Never. rarely. Usually when they're confronting each other, it's sitting around a table, and if anything, yeah. it's one static shot. Yeah. It's just a one-camera thing. They shoot it from one angle, they shoot it from another, they cut, 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 cut. Yeah, it's old-fashioned, but you know why it's old-fashioned? Because it works. Yeah. Because at some point, the, pe- you know, the people are going to realize the spinning camera looks stupid, and there's a reason they don't do it in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I- I'm willing to let Su- Supergirl go. The Expanse does it a little bit, and it almost bothers me more because they're trying to sneak in. You know, they'll be shooting on Steven Straight, and then they'll suddenly go left, 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 like slowly. I'm just like, stop the camera. Like, if if you don't think he can emote, like, fine. But like, the moving the camera is doing nothing. I'm sorry. That'll be no, my, I- that's the Bizzle rant for the week is the moving spinning camera. No, I think you're right. I think it's a kind of lazy shooting tactic. It is. It's lazy. Um, it's funny that you mention it. Um, so John Wick, when you watch it, one thing you may notice is that there's very, very little of that. That yeah. unlike a lot of movies, uh, Honest Trailers made fun of Taken for this. That has a ton of spinning cameras and and quick cuts and stuff like that. Yeah. John Wick, the action scenes are actually pretty static, and that actually brings them to life a little bit. And they let it lets the action. Speak oh, yeah. for itself. Keanu Reeves um, doesn't do that shit. Homie, don't play that. Keanu no. Reeves, look at the Matrix. It's never, you know, the camera's almost never moving in the Matrix. That's what makes the fights amazing, but also the drama. I mean, it's literally well, they just stand the camera where there. Trinity jumps in the air, stays in the air, but and the that's camera's... a specific mechanism right. that happens in, in bullet yeah. time. Yeah, but when it's Morpheus first Neo, you know, it, it's like one shot for three straight minutes, like they as they fight. And if you read stories about John Wick one and two, he beats the shit out of his co-stars i mean keanu reeves really goes at him you know he knows how to fight he's been fighting since before the matrix but can you imagine the training he got in three matrix movies i'm pretty sure keanu reeves has a is a trained martial artist i mean after the three matrix movies you have to be with in his place i think he maybe was beforehand but um but um uh, yeah i'm I'm really pumped to get to get in the john wick thing i've been saving it and now with the new movie i cannot wait and that's something you're not going to get in tv all the ultra violent art movie but it's artsy and yeah they don't move the camera so what are you gonna do um and uh but, but the point being the bigger point not to, not to walk back on what i said was that in that scene it made perfect sense to spin the camera because you're right. trying to disorient and show everybody at the same time and remember that's what i was talking about with with arrow in these shows about coverage what i mean by coverage is you need to you know shoot the same scene from so many angles to get different people's lines in from different angles so sh- like that scene there where they're going to the flame took maybe a half a day um with all with all that shooting you know and so it's tough it's tough they're just making it harder on themselves um but i like the way supergirl is shot overall and it's definitely the superman thing where it's like up on her face you know from below they they don't they don't shy away from that i guess i guess they all do that when they're you know they're classic superhero shows that's what we love about the cw i'm 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 slipping on arrow i'll probably catch up at some point because i have a weird addiction to it but (laughs) at at the moment i'm following behind i'm not following behind on supergirl or the expanse i'm gonna stay with legion as long as possible I know I asked you this. Stay every- with it that long. It's only eight episodes. It's only eight episodes. I'll watch all eight. Um, Taboo, not much going on from what I understand. No, Taboo is really, really good, but you don't have to watch it night of. Um, you can uh, watch it. Tell your story. Uh, oh, so there is, uh, another movie, television podcast uh, is The Watch. Um, not as good as us, but yeah. 
Whether it is or it isn't, I will admit that I listen to it every episode, and it is an inspiration for me both in how I try Good. to conduct myself to some Good. extent on here like and it. wanting to do this in the first place. There was mm-hmm. definitely a part of me that thought, what if we could be the next The Watch? Totally. And uh, and I like Chris and Andy, uh, Andy Greenwald and Chris. I can't remember what his last yeah, name is. Wood I feel bad something? about that. Not Chris Wood. That's Monel. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll look. I'll, I'll figure that out later. Anyway. They're really easy to listen to. I've been listening to both of them since the Grantland days. Yeah. So they love. Um, so they love uh, Taboo, or at least uh, Chris does. His name is Chris Ryan, by the way. Yeah, Chris Ryan. Um, anyway, is a. Um, he really he each week picks his favorite scene and for two straight weeks his favorite moment has been the exact same one that i without having listened to his episode first picked as my favorite moment two weeks ago when it was uh the guy who plays doug stamper you know show talking about dying uh flags and hold, put, points a gun in tom hardy's face that was his favorite moment mine as well and then last week uh when he meets Tom Hollander, a chemist who talks about eating. He eats pigeon shit on screen and talks about making gunpowder out of a uh, whore urine. Uh, that was my favorite scene, and that was all he wanted to talk about as well. So, you know, we are all, the, our shows are on the same web wavelengths unintentionally, at least. Absolutely, um, but they do an they do an after show for Game of Thrones. So how is that? I'm not sure how that's so much more admirable than what Chris Hardwick does with The Walking Dead, which I believe is coming back soon. Sunday, Sunday. Uh, this anything Sunday, to say about that? You're going to be watching it? Sure, of course. I mean, I'll stick with Walking Dead until I mean it's gotten pretty stupid at this point, and I'm still sticking with it because there is something cathartic about watching zombies get their brains bashed in and. <laughs> various amusing ways um i I will say uh jeffrey dean morgan as negan has not done it for me as a villain um and if when they beat him which they are inevitably going to do at some point what could they possibly introduce that's going to up the the ridiculousness anymore and it, I just feel like this show is slipping down this weird slope of we have to go more and more over the top with our human villains. And I think they're running out of real estate in that in that respect. The only zombie movie in the modern age I've ever seen that I've liked, and that's very few that I've even seen, is uh, I Am Legend. Oh, God, really? But that was I only am- but, but it was only the movie was not great, but that was only because of Will Smith's solo performance was awesome. He was acting the whole movie by himself. See, that's he the did thing it with me. I, yeah. I, like, one actor can take me through something like that, you know? Sure. He did his best. Well, did you like uh, Hancock? No. <laughs> OK, I, I, I mean, no. he did his best. This but, was like Castaway. The- this was like the zombified version of Castaway. You know, sure. The, yeah. I, I, I mean, he did his best. And the story it's based on is actually really interesting. Um, but there, the script was terrible. The the CGI was awful. Um, I yeah, like the CGI um, was not good, but there wasn't much of a script. It was just emotional performance from him, which I'm totally. Yeah, and I thought it was fine. I just didn't think it was. I mean, my good. favorite zombies are, are from <laughs> Serenity. The zombies on Serenity are pretty yeah. cool. I mean, I loved Shaun of the Dead. 
um, I enjoyed Warm Bodies, and which I think also had Nicholas Holt in it. Maybe <laughs> if people didn't know that was a property, and you just said I enjoy Warm Bodies, is, is, yeah, that's uh, a that's a little funny. Yeah. Um, and Zombieland, <laughs> I thought was really really funny. Yeah, uh, Zombieland. Tra- well, but you like that's what I'm saying. You like the satirical ones. What about the straight up ones? Um, I mean, Dawn of the Dead, the Zack Snyder. Twenty eight days later, or never 20, seen it. I've yeah. heard it's great. I've never seen it. I mean, either everyone swears by it. You know, I don't love horror. It's not my favorite genre, in part because I don't like j- jump scares. I don't like things leaping out I at it. me. I, I, I hate it. I don't enjoy that feeling, and I don't think that's really being scared. That's just having something jump at you when your heart races for a second. Like, really creepy movies, like The Exorcist, I loved watching. And that movie, and I saw it as an adult, scared the hell out of me. You know, yeah. The Shining scared the living shit out of me. Neither of those movies have jump scares. No. The Shining kind of hints that there's going to be one, but every time you think it's coming, yeah. it doesn't happen. And then maybe it'll jump out at you a little bit later when you've let your guard down. Yeah. But, you know, Kubrick knows how to make a movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, it used to be artistic, and now it's just pornographic, essentially. Well, I mean, and the torture porn stuff, the saws yeah. and the hostels, yeah. none of that does it for me at all. All, all of that is just gross. And for support, and people for supporting that are idiots because they spend almost no money on making those movies and they make tons of money. I mean, that funds entire studios, those slasher movies. And that's the difference between a horror movie and a slasher movie, right? I right. mean, there, there, there's a big, big gap. And I think as much as I love Joss Whedon and guys like him, I think they, they, they unleashed a, 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 a quote unquote rebirth of horror, uh, vampires and werewolves and zombies, but it, it's not, it's not what it used to be. Um, and, and I'm not even into the originals, but I can at least appreciate what's happening, happening in The Exorcist. Right. And there's a reason there hasn't been a successful remake of The Exorcist in movies right. like that. It, it's, it's extremely hard to do. So, but I would love, I would love some random zombie moments as the season goes on. Feel free, you know, to be like, here's a zombie moment for people who know nothing about Walking Dead or zombies. Right. I mean, The Expanse. They're sort of the people on the station that are getting infected by this proto-molecule are kind of turning into weird space zombies. The Reavers, as we pointed out, are zombies in space. Helix, the sci-fi show that lasted two seasons and and really fell off the deep end by the end, uh, was mostly about zombies, uh, you know, or or viruses that turn people into weird black goose spitting psychopath so yeah. so zombies so what's you know, up with what's up with that with the expanse and then we can close out here i totally forgot to bring that up is this is this a self-aware like disease or something because that's really scary well i sort of know where the books are going and i don't actually want to spoil the plot of what's coming so i i, I don't know what the show is going to do with the proto molecule but it does seem like this thing is able to sort of take over people's brains and maybe manipulate them um it's a very star trek thing i like it star trek or the thing i always think of of did you ever watch planet earth the bbc uh nature series with uh, david Attenborough? there's a scene in the rainforest episode where these show these ants that get infected by this virus that basically takes over their brains and drives them crazy and then sprouts a fungus out of the top of their dead skulls it's horrifying but that's kind of what i think this proto molecule is is ant brain taking over virus uh from planet earth 
Um, I mean, the, the practical effects <laughs> and prosthetics they've been doing look amazing. And yep. I, I hate looking at that shit, but it is beautiful almost mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yeah, the to neon think and fluorescent yeah. color scheme really works. Blue and green always work well together. I don't know yep. what it is. I mean, um, Avatar made an entire movie out of that. Oh, God. Let's, <laughs> I, it, let's not even... The Expanse might not be perfect, but I'll take anything over Avatar. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm so glad it looks like those movies are never going to get made. I, uh, I, well, who knows? I, every, it seems like each month Cameron comes out with an even more outlandish promise. Like now we're going to have five. He's Elon Musk. He's Elon Uh, Musk. Seriously. I think he's maybe just daring the movie studio to see how big a check he can get them to commit to. And then until they finally pull the plug, like he's just getting more and more bombastic until they just say the hell with us. But I think we will ultimately wind up at least one more avatar sequel i mean it made so much money how do they not roll the dice at least one more time because it looks Um, like shit and has aged terribly um you know what i actually liked avatar a lot i still like it and you can't convince me to not because everything you're going to say about why you don't like it i actually probably agree with and maybe even have some complaints of my own that you don't have i'd rather just watch a miyazaki film you know i just i I would certainly those are certainly a lot shorter (laughs) (laughs) so all right people well um this uh uh, show is going to come out i believe monday february uh, 13th um and so it's possible by the next time we talk buddy that i will have seen both john wick 2 and the lego batman movie wow i think it's highly probable i'll have seen one because it's been more than a few weeks since i've seen a good movie and i need movie entertainment Mm -hmm. um which one of those do you think you're more likely to see probably john wick no probably lego batman oh okay if we love it, we're going to have to do a podcast. I'm not saying we will, but I'm saying if we love it, we, we'll have to do a podcast. Like an, like yeah, an anti-BVS I, podcast. <laughs> and as I understand it, the movie is kind of anti-BVS. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm down for that. I, uh, you know, If nothing else, we can do a 20-minute just part of this. But, um, okay. I, yeah, I, I probably will commit to at least seeing one of those within the next week to 10 days. So. I mean, you just can't replace that experience, you know, where you just sit down, turn your your phone off. I just love it, you know. Mm-hmm. I just I just need it every once in a while. So, okay, man. Well, as we lead people out, and I will just quickly again say, please go to CrossingStreamsPodcast.com, which is part of Bizzlecast.com. You can see us at Facebook uh, slash Bizzlecast and on Twitter at TheBizzle81 and at Matt Goisman, CCT. We would love yep. to hear from you. Um, we'll get parting uh, parting thoughts from you. Are there any shows coming up that we need to know about? I mean, coming out this week, uh, we have Walking Dead on Sunday. We have Humans, uh, the AMC robot show on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's not a whole lot among these kind of genre shows coming out until March, where we'll get The Americans on March 7th, Iron Fist on Netflix on March 17th. And maybe we get into the Badlands AMC's weird dystopian future martial arts show mm-hmm. sometime in March as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. I don't know how many episodes American Gods is. Orphan Black's going to go well into June, if not till. Wait, wait. No, they pushed it back to June. So, yeah, so Orphan Black's going to be going all summer. We're going to have Game of Thrones over the summer. Star Trek, who fucking knows? Um, I doubt it. They've just released. Oh, we'll get Twin Peaks in May. Yeah. 
So yep. there's a lot of interesting shit coming out this summer. So, yep. you know, we uh, might hit a lull in May and that when the network shows go off the air, but not for long. I mean, I may talk shit about Game of Thrones, but there might be like a six week period where we're mostly talking Orphan Black and Game of Thrones during the summer, I think is, it, it is I'm not going to say a foregone conclusion, but I could see that, that happening just because they don't release that many great shows during the summer. And to have both no. of those going at the same time would be something. I know that uh, Stranger Things Season 2 is coming out. Um, but not until Halloween. Want, so. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. So it'll be, it, it's nice to kind of parse it out. Um, I think we'll probably, I, I mean, I don't want to say we will. I, we've talked about this and propose, you know, introducing some Netflix shows and stuff that maybe you and I could watch, you know, and talk about as well. Um that 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 are that are available. I don't know any so many big ones now. I would mention it, you know, Troll Hunters I, I really recommend people uh check out. I've kind of been meaning to check out the the Zelda Fitzgerald uh show on Amazon only because I love Christina Ricci. Uh yeah, I don't know anything about it other than that when we first mentioned it the show's called Z, we thought mm-hmm. it was a zombie thing. We're wrong. It's about You're Zelda wrong. Fitzgerald. Although oh, I would yeah. watch a Zelda Fitzgerald fight zombies show. I, I totally. don't know why that would be good, but Especially I think Especially if it was fun. Christina Ricci. Come on. Sure, yes. <laughs> She's perfect for it. She's been working with the undead before. Um, so final question, man. Doctor Who, who's it going to be? Do they know yet? No idea. I, I don't think they've even begun the uh, casting search. Well, let's hear uh, your theories because you've told me and I like all of them. These are are theories just purely based on who I would like to see. These yeah. are not founded yeah, yeah, in yeah, any yeah. reality. Well, no one knows. My three yeah. are, if they want to stick with a man, I would love to see them finally race swap the doctor. And I think Chiwetel yes. Ejiofor is the obvious choice yes. for who would be a great doctor. He can do that sort of cool, collected, yeah. distanced character, but he can also be angry and raged and raged yeah. and, emotional He'd be like the operative he's but a british good version. he yeah. said he's wanted to be the doctor before i think he would be great uh if they want a young hip character and they want a gender swap which i think is also completely uh, valid yes. Haley atwell yes. agent carter herself <sighs> obvious choice she's also said you know she was asked would you ever want a guest star on doctor who and she said no i'd want to be doctor uh, she'd be so good uh, and if they want somebody who could be a little bit more towards older and professorial Boo. and also gender swap, Tilda Swinton would make a no, hell of a doctor. Nope. No. If I'm making a five season uh, Doctor Who show in, in this day and age, if I have to pick between those two, I'm picking Haley Atwell. Because you know Tilda Swinton's not staying for five seasons. There's no way. You know, no, I, I agree. I mean, nobody, everybody leaves after three seasons, basically. Um, you know, Peter Capaldi, the current doctor, I think he's done three. Matt Smith did three. David Tennant did three. And I a think bunch David of, Tennant did four, actually. He did four, but the fourth was just four TV movies. It was not, okay. well, it was not the same. So the point being four, but like, hell yeah, well, you're getting in the perfect age. Yeah. She's way older than anyone thinks she is because she's fucking gorgeous and so full of life. And it just, I just love her. I mean, she's. Yeah, I, I mean, Agent Carter should really have been a terrible show, and it was very watchable because of her. Yeah, and, she and, she saved what was otherwise fairly mediocre at times, yeah. especially and, in the second was, season. In the first Cat movie, in her other appearances, I mean, the charisma of that woman just jumps off 
the screen and, and and she's extremely you know sassy and energetic in real life which is the perfect way to turn over the professorial male version of Doctor Who, you know? Right. But she now, can play that because, because let's be honest, Peggy Carter was a little uptight in a way that Haley Atwell's not. She can play that. She's mm-hmm. that good of an actress, I think. Right. And what's kind of interesting is, so if you look at the Doctor, the character has a certain number of times he can regenerate. And then when he runs out of the last one, which was Matt Smith, he works a deal basically to get a whole new batch of regenerations. The oldest guy to ever play him, William Hartnell was the first and the youngest to ever play him, Matt Smith was the last. So if you're going again, Peter Capaldi, really an older actor playing the first in this new cycle, it would make sense that then your next bunch of doctors gets younger. Now, I don't know if you go drop 40 years and go Haley Atwell immediately. But I, I don't think they're going to stick with older actors forever. I think for one, they're trying to attract a young demographic and getting a young actor is the easiest possible way to do that. So, I mean, everyone you know, in the MCU loves Peggy Carter. So they would yeah. immediately get like a billion nerds on board. Seriously. Right. I, I know, I know a but thousand They would nerds do that if they did Chu for as well. Both are, yeah equally good options i think making the doctor black or making the doctor female both very good bridges to cross you could i can't think of a a black female actress that i would want to do it but if you could find a perfect one and get two for the price of one do that i mean there are plenty of british you know actresses of color um some of whom i'm sure are quite popular and i just can't name any but that's me sucking yeah and uh yeah there's been a lot and actually tom baker uh, is a is a voice actor on star wars rebels a very important jedi character tom baker for people who don't know the fourth doctor mm-hmm. considered the best except maybe for david Tennant. but mm-hmm. you know he's i mean if you want to watch old doctor who when the when the special effects were terrible tom baker's episodes the best ones are as good as anything the show has done since it came back on the air in 2005. I mean, he basically plays, if you take an Ent from the Lord of the Rings and combine it with like a giant goat <laughs> that pops out of the ground that's a million years old, that's a Jedi, you know, super master, that's like his character. It's fantastic. And Oh, on show, Star Wars. I thought you were Star talking Wars, about yeah, yeah. his doctor character. I was like, I don't no, think any of that. No, no, no. Well, you're the okay. expert. We could do a show. <laughs> we could definitely do a show on that at some point um so okay man well this was great um i think we covered everything we wanted to cover uh i assume if there was a gotham moment you would have chimed in at this point but i wasn't on air this week and i didn't really miss it (laughs) but there is something that you want to leave the bizzlecast listeners with oh yeah so we don't talk a lot about legends of tomorrow and probably rightly so but this episode, so every Legends of Tomorrow, just like every Supergirl and Arrow and Flash, has a, a voiceover lead-in describing this, the premise of the show. Uh, unlike Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl, the person doing the lead-in on Legends changes week to week. Season one, it was mostly Rip Hunter. This season, I think Black Canary has done it. Firestorm or, or Professor Stein has done it. Damian Dark did it last week. And this week, the lead-in is ri- uh, is done by Heatwave, uh, Dominic Purcell, Mick Rory's character. Um, and Mick Rory, Dominic Purcell, just has this wonderful voice. And so 
I'm going to do my best imitation of his intro. Uh, and this is literally how it starts. How have you idiots not figured this out yet? So we blew up the time pigs, the time cops, and we screwed up time. So now we have to stop screwing it up. But every time we try to unscrew it up, we end up screwing it up worse. So we're not heroes. We're legends. Who writes this crap? So I really think uh, Dominic Purcell should read every intro to every CW superhero show ever. I think he should be the voice of Supergirl in the lead-ins. Not in the show, but like, yeah, my the, name is Kara. I was sent to Earth to save my <laughs> cousin Kal-El. I helped my sister fight in the DEO. All right. Uh, which is exactly my criticism of Legends. That's brilliant that he encapsulated it like that, you know. Oh, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no offense. You know, you've got to prioritize with these shows. Right. Um, and it's it's just the episode itself, they have to save... Uh, uh, George Washington from getting killed by a brainwashed Rip Hunter. Who cares? Whatever. Uh, the episode does steal a joke from the Avengers, though, where uh, Steel, Citizen Steel, makes a joke about uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. And Vixen, who is from the 30s and 40s, says, Oh, I got that reference. That's from a movie called Wizard of Oz. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're just cribbing that right from the Avengers, but you know, you steal from the best. I mean, I, I'm not saying I, I would watch it for this reason, but it does kind of remind me of how, you know, in some ways, if you go back to watch a Next Generation episode, Star Trek Next Generation, the holodeck episodes are some of the best. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you get to see them wear costumes and, like, really act. You know, when Data and Picard are dressed up, it's fantastic. Definitely. So, um, man, th- that'll be my closing thought is I'm desperate for a Star Trek show and the fact that they <laughs> screwed up the movie. So let's be honest, man. I mean, Star Trek Beyond wasn't an all time amazing movie, but it deserved way better than what it got in both marketing and totals. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. And so they screwed up the movie. They screwed up the 50th anniversary. They haven't promoted, been promoting this awesome Spock documentary that Leonard Niboy's son did that I love that's on Netflix you guys should check out. And there's been no promotion of the show, which may not even happen. I mean, it seems like since mid-Voyager, they've just given up on this property other than the one J.J. Abrams reboot movie, which happened to come together. Yeah, I I mean, we've talked so often about Star Trek. As far as I can tell, Paramount, right, just they don't like it. They don't know what to do with it, and they don't know how to get rid of it, so they just keep fucking around with it. Um, I mean, if they made Enterprise a tenth of what the first ten minutes of the 09 reboot was like in terms of the older days of Star Trek... Right. They made it anything like seeing Chris Hemsworth as the father of, of Kirk, you know, George Kirk. It, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, you don't even have to be that creative. The material is all there. The history's there. The technology's there. It's not, we, we see with the expanse. They could afford the effects. I don't understand it. Is it possible that there's some intellectual property stuff going on and everyone's fighting each other? I don't know. I yeah. who knows. All right, we'll have to revisit that for another episode. So this was a good one, man. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to Expanse the most for next week. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm, I'm I bought in and I'm trying to figure out the story. I'm actually going to because I have the two episode finale from the first season to watch. So I'm gonna watch that and then gonna rewatch the first three episodes if I can and try and get a hold of this plot so we can explain it to everybody. And I'm interested in Legion, but 
I'm I'm a little I'm a little gun shy with it, um, but we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. I, I'm not totally convinced by the, by the lead the lead guy yet, but it's it's not his fault. Yeah, I mean I'm I I don't know what direct, exactly what the final story is going to be with that either, but I am curious to see if they are able to come up with something unique to say about uh, mutants or or the X, you know. I'm waiting for them to justify why this needs to be an X thing. And if they can pull it off, it'll be very good. So, and and look, you're not wrong to be skeptical about the X-Men connection. And to be honest, they've been playing all the X-Men movies around the clock around Legion. So they're trying to make the connection from a commercial standpoint, if nothing else. In fact, I turned it off and it was on, it happened to be on FX and it was like the last third of days of future past, (laughs) literally totally by accident. I was like, Oh, I love this. Um, and it was that part where he, he goes to his future self, Xavier through Wolverine, uh, Mm -hmm. to Patrick Stewart, which is, which, is brilliant so there's got to be a middle ground between insanity porn as i call it and and the x-men fun stuff you know what i mean i hope they can find that middle ground this was great thanks so much for being on i know the weather has been a bear up there in new england uh we got lucky here uh any any final parting thoughts to the bizzlecast listener in the these dark cold times of ours i uh no i think i've said all i have to say this week All right. Thank you so much, listeners. And me and Maddie G are out.